0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTradio.live. Matt Arrett and Connecting the Dots on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, we're back for our second hour
1: where I'm very happy to be joined by my good friend Alex Craner, who is an impeccable analyst geo historian um he is a hedge fund manager on top of it so he's been in the thick of things and he has a, a fantastic fantastic Substack called trend compass which i invite everybody to go and subscribe to immediately um alex has been somebody who has had his finger on the pulse for a long time with a really really sharp understanding or appreciation of the contours of history uh when he goes into his current analysis so today I would like to say a few words or just get Alex's thoughts on some of the the frontline developments in the Middle East as well as on the Ukraine front two zones that uh, are both dancing with nuclear war unless Saner heads do prevail which God God willing humanity prevails through this this insanity. Um Alex, thank you for joining me today.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, good to be with you, Matt
1: great i i know that you got some uh, some vi- visual issues that may come and go so i'm sure the sound at the very least is going to be okay i, I, I s- have
2: a special i have a special visual effects for anybody who is uh, watching in addition to uh, and i don't know if you can tell but there's a special visual effect that i'm i i see a,
1: a certain smokiness I, I don't have to call a fire department right <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right for those listening that was a hot beverage very close to the camera that that made it seem like uh alex was in a, in a building on fire i was getting a bit worried um alex you you have uh, there's a lot to talk about so you were re- you recently wrote uh, a fantastic little piece called what nato learned in ukraine uh you had a little anecdotal contribution as well within it regarding your observations and encounter a little bit during a presentation by kurt volker the uh, the U S ambassador to or former U S ambassador to NATO and special representative uh, for the Ukraine negotiations, who is giving a little lesson to his audience of what NATO has learned from this whole strange debacle in, in Ukraine. What what can you say? NATO has learned from from what uh an expert like Kurt Volker has had to say.
2: So, in all honesty, I, I couldn't tell. Uh, I was I was invited to this. It was last week and. Uh, The title of the talk was what we learned in Ukraine, you know, and and Kurt Volker is uh, was a U.S. Ambassador to NATO, and he was the uh, U.S. Representative in uh, certain Ukraine negotiations. And so he has all these very important titles in his CV. I thought I would love to hear straight from the horse's mouth what they learned in Ukraine and the whole talk. The whole entire talk was basically a rehash of all the talking points that we've heard a million times over the last two years. And so nothing, nothing at all. Um, I you know, I've observed that Americans, Kurt Volker is American, um, from Pittsburgh, Americans tend to be very good at delivering presentations. You know, they come prepared, the whole thing flows really well. It's um it's well delivered, it's engaging, it's uh you know, it's easy to sit through 20 25 minutes of of the man's presentation. But then uh, you know, there was a Q&A session after that. And I was if not the first, I was second or third to raise my hand and i was going to ask a question now okay for for your viewers listeners to 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 appreciate this i live in the principality of monaco uh monaco is not a democracy it's a principality the sovereign is prince albert uh he runs the place and um uh, kurt walker was you know officially his guest in the principality and so uh, because Prince Albert was was there in the audience as well, I wasn't going to, you know, start some kind of a controversial back and forth uh, to embarrass uh, Mr. Volker. But since uh, during his presentation, he did mention that, you know, now that the House of Representatives went to the Republicans and... You know the funding for ukraine is uh maybe subject to political haggling in the united states and the u.s congress uh, then uh, it's uh, the uh you, the european union is gonna step up and uh, pick up the tab uh, because you know we have to continue supporting ukraine all the way for as long as it takes and give them everything they need that's right that's what um that's what um that's what Volker was saying and uh, so what i was going to what i was going to ask is because just just in the several days before his presentation we had um uh, annalena barbuck the foreign minister of germany who said that germany would dramatically increase their financial and military aid to Ukraine, practically doubling it. And then a day or two later, uh, we had a confirmation out of Ukraine that um, that it was the Ukrainians who blew up the the German North Street, North Stream pipelines, which was an essential industrial piece of infrastructure. Of huge importance for the German economy. So my question to Volker was going to be, well, you know, now that we know that the Ukrainians blew up the Nord Stream pipeline, do you think that um, do you think that um, uh, the this this might jeopardize German aid to Ukraine? Of course, nobody buys the story about uh, you know the Ukrainian. Pirates of the Baltic, uh, somehow blowing yeah. up the. Every the, the, everyone the has
1: has everyone has read Seymour Hirsch's thesis. Everyone, I mean, the who, who, so it's it's not a it's yes. not a mystery and, that who really did yeah, it. But at and, the same
2: time, you brought yeah, up okay, of, the official of story is Ukrainians. Okay, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's just it's just so obvious and so silly, but um, I thought you know, it would be worth asking that question just to see him squirm a little bit and see what he might come up with. But the, you know, the really well delivered, engaging presentation completely deteriorated in the Q&A session. He took three friendly questions from the audience, which I know at least one, because I know the person who asked, She, she used to work for you know uh, the U.S. military in Afghanistan and Iraq. I she, the woman lives in Monaco, but I know her. I know what she did, and she was the third friendly question. And Volker was giving these very long, very rambling replies. And then after the third question, and and the woman with the microphone came to me, and she said, "You're on right next after his after this one," and. Uh, then after he finished the third uh, the answer to the third question they they stopped the session they invited us to the um, to the cocktail party that was organized after that and so i never got to ask the ask the question i think it was deliberate you know they the i think that the the whole the whole narrative is so patently so obviously false and incoherent that th- they probably couldn't risk taking any questions from people they didn't know and you know any questions that they didn't know in advance but they yeah you know it
1: wasn't well you definitely you de- you definitely built up a reputation for yourself Alex in all fairness that I, I think that when you enter a, a room like that probably somebody uh had, had some alarms that went off and uh and made sure that that you were stalled as much as possible but I think that the what you were able to bring back out of that as a as an observation of the uh the the self-delusion that volka represents is clinically very interesting i i think that the clinically psychologically speaking it's not a big surprise but it's useful to get this hard data of um of the insanity of those who have been assigned a certain role uh, based on an artificial image of what they imagine the new world order must be despite the fact that reality doesn't at all conform to their script of what they've been assigned to play on the the great game stage so volker coming out saying and i thought it was very insightful when you said um there was almost a hy- hypnotic uh technique he used by telling people well look ignore the day-to-day news coverage it'll just demoralize you that's important what's really important is that ukraine is still a strong sovereign democracy and thus should merit our full support and I, I feel like it's somewhat similar as a technique that I've heard again and again from these technocrats as an art of sophistry that's been used in things like, you know, man-made climate change. You know, where you've heard people say, "Oh, only foolish, unsophisticated idiots believe there's what their senses are telling them," and you think it's getting cold in winter, and you think that, uh, you think that it's that it's that it's still really chilly when you're when you're digging your car out of the snow. But in reality, the reality is the experts say that's there and then fill in the blank right and thus we should conform all of our, our our life to this idealized image of what some computer models or game theoreticians have said the future outcome must be even if it means massively shutting down industrial civilization and killing ourselves if it if that means supporting the, the democracy go for it if it means st- stopping uh the, the climate from changing okay that's okay so it's a very similar hypnotic spell. I I I, I enjoyed that you uh, that you noted that Volker was still using that.
2: Yes, absolutely. But you know, I think um, there's 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 so much to read into all that. You know, I it's it's almost surreal how delusional they are. But I think that they are, you know, um, they're probably a a squad, a team, uh, a group hmm. of people who are running this show. And who have a lot at stake in in winning, they cannot accept losing, and they're never going to change their mind. You know, we're never going to change their mind. It doesn't matter what the reality is. It doesn't matter matter what the art uh, arguments are. But I think that what actually happens is that at a given point in time, when the when 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 the thing breaks, then there's a probably going to be some kind of a purge, and uh, mm. a different squad is going to walk in who is going to be a bit more realistic who is going to come in knowing that they have to sit across the table with the russians and that they have to hack out a deal because uh, you know after all every war all wars uh finish uh, at a negotiating and at a negotiating table uh you know regardless of how much bloodshed or how little bloodshed uh happens in between uh the parties have to come together and uh you know iron out some kind of an agreement and so that's going to have to happen and uh, probably you know people like kurt volker and um, you know victoria newland and uh, anthony blinken they're not going going to be part of that uh it's going to be Would you sort of else see them probably. as sort of the
1: uh would you sort of see the this cast of characters kind of like one would see uh, Lloyd George and Neville Chamberlain and uh Oswald Mosley in uh Brit- in the British high command pro-Nazi back in the 1930s would that be sort of this the same sort of thing where iced out in favor of a more rationalistic uh grouping within the oligarchy who realized they they overplayed their hand and uh, had to yes. Uh, uh, abort
2: Yes exactly I I'm not predicting that I'm just I'm just saying that that's that's how it usually goes, and that's probably um, uh, that's probably a, a realistic explanation for people who are still in charge being completely and totally delusional. You know, because it could be you, you might you might find yourself very discouraged there that they have learned nothing, that they just mm-hmm. went through almost two years of war, that they sacrificed more than half a million lives that they ended up with a ukraine that is completely devastated which was the most important chess piece in their geopolitical chessboard and that they've learned nothing you know that could be really disheartening but i think that there are other people who are not as quite as delusional and and so it's just going to be a you know a a, a change of uh, a change in in the management structure that's what's going to happen and and you're right that's how it that's how it's been through history and that's how it's going to be this time around as well but i'm afraid that probably uh russia's terms are going to be very difficult for any team to accept because you know russia at this point um has no reason to a trust their western uh counterparts at all and they have no reason to compromise about any of their uh political and geopolitical objectives at all
1: mm-hmm. all right let's pick this thread back up uh, after a short break this has been tnt radio connecting the dots
3: TNT Radio's Rick Munn. I'm looking also at South Africa in terms of uh, Eskom, which is a company that we have talked about a lot here. That's the South African electricity provider Eskom has posted a massive 24 billion rand loss for 2022-2023 financial year, exacerbated by a huge escalation in load shedding, which is basically blackouts, for want of a better expression, mounting municipal debt and skyrocketing losses due to criminal activity. that's both within the company, I would say, and outside of the company, the group presented its first full year financials for the 12 months ending 31st of March on Tuesday. It said the year was characterized by a significant deterioration of performance, including a steep decline in energy availability of 56%, down from 62%. So half the country are having difficulty getting any electricity at all. And most places are undergoing what's called uh, load shedding, which means for up to 10 hours per day, you could be disconnected from the electricity supply in South Africa.
0: Locked and loaded with Rick Mon on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are opportunity zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that.
4: Government report on prescription drug pricing points to corporate mouth. Mal- freedom of the press is about your right to know.
0: What are you you talking about, man? Free. Look at his stats. It's large,
4: sheer about your right to be informed. Your right to access all types of information keeps us free as a nation. No, 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 no. no, no. Today, there are real threats to press freedom,
1: residential areas by-
4: and your right to know about the world around us.
1: Look.
4: Some threats are obvious, some are easy to miss, but they all put our way of life at risk. We must defend against all of these threats, no matter what kind of news is important to you. ...justified putting American troops in harm's way. That's a great question. We must protect our right to know before it's too late. Understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org. The human
3: mind is like a computer. No matter how efficient it may be, its reliability is only as great as the information fed into it.
0: That's a campaign promise. Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We mandate that the truth be told. You're hearing it.
1: TNT. All right, we're back with Connecting the Dots. I'm here with Alex Cranor, uh, where we have been discussing some of the breaking developments um, around Ukraine, or at least not the breaking developments, more the insanity of oligarchism as far as misreading reality uh, again and again and again. Uh, currently, uh, Zelensky's advisor, David, uh, Arachamia, I can't even pronounce his name. He was the, um, a representative of the servant of the people faction in Ukraine, gave an, a, an interview admitting that the war could have ended last year, um, if they had agreed to simply signing up to, uh, a promise of neutrality as Putin had repeatedly requested again and again and again. He was, of course, not apologetic, but rather happy that they didn't do that because now they have their freedom and sovereignty and dignity intact. We're also at the 10-year anniversary of the Maidan that was put into motion in November 2013 in large measure that resulted in this uh, U.S. State Department-led coup and the revival or amplification of a neo-nazi ideology that had been sort of incubating and incubating since world war ii that's been brought back into play we still see it uh, very very actively as a force of destruction so we have a, a lot of um, of embarrassing things coming through it's harder and harder to ignore the disasters of zelensky of the entire decision to uh, to try to pick a fight um with russia I, I sort of get a sense of a little bit of the uh, the promises that were made to Saakashvili in 2008, where he was given promises that the neocons would support him if he picked a fight with Russia over South of Syria. That didn't really go the way he had, he had hoped. I think that there's a sort of um, sense that the the plan is not working out. Even the Wall Street Journal is now saying we have our expectations of Ukrainian victory and and Russian defeat have to uh, be re, de- re uh, conceptualized. So even mainstream media outlets are putting out this messaging. I think per- trying to prepare the groundwork for a possible shifting of gears. The money promised to Zelensky by Biden doesn't seem to be forthcoming. Um, so what do you think? Do you, do you think that they're that they are really aborting the Ukraine project now or? is there an attempt and, and are they putting it all into the 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 support of Israel operation or are they trying to open up a two front attack uh against the oppositions to the depopulation agenda russia china and beyond
2: uh no i don't think they're giving up but uh, the game is shifting and this is another thing that volker mentioned he mentioned that the thinking uh the strategic thinking is uh shifting uh, towards regarding the Black Sea as the important strategic uh, area rather than Ukraine, but I, I would just go back to something you said. Uh, uh, you, you, you mentioned it was a State Department-run coup in 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 uh, in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I looked into it, and you know, it's not it's not quite that easy. It, it's. Um, hmm. You know, we obviously had the involvement of, Victor- of Victoria Newland and various other uh, uh, actors, but reading the whole thing, uh, it, it seems that the Obama State Department was not really interested in uh, Ukraine all that much. And so the, the, the whole thing started in, uh, for, for reasons that I'm not sure why then exactly, but on, on 26 September uh, 2013, it was uh, Carl Gershman of the National Endowment for Democracy who uh, published a, an op-ed in, I, I think, the Washington Post. And in that op-ed, he was saying, "Well, okay, now we have to definitely push Ukraine into European integrations. They have to become a member of the EU and a member of NATO. And the, the Obama administration has to, you know, go in that direction. And then, as you know, then very close after that, we had." Uh, I think the the U.S. Justice Department, who uh, launched an extradition request against uh, one of the Ukrainian oligarchs in Vienna, uh, who was... uh, His name escapes me right now. Uh, Maybe it was Leonid Kravchuk. No. No. uh, It was some... Well, anyway, they launched an extradition request against this person who was a key political supporter to um, to President Yanukovych. And then they kind of blackmailed. Then like two days after that, Nuland went to Kiev and had a meeting with Yanukovych. And then uh, he, she came out of that meeting and she said like, well, you know, I can announce that Ukraine has chosen Europe. Um, but then throughout uh, the succeeding events because this was dragging on for months you know now is now is 10 years since the the Euromaidan demonstrations started but the coup was in in February 22 February 2014. So it, it took it took a few months uh, but throughout the whole time it seems that they had to kind of cajole the, the Obama administration to help out and to participate. And that Obama wasn't very, very interested because they clearly saw the risk of uh, World War III breaking out. And Obama was actually saying to some some people there, "Don't get me into a war." And then, you know, Obama determined that you, uh, Russia had um, uh, how do you, how how did he word it exactly? The overwhelming military escalation uh, dominance so that there was no point going to war with russia and then and then you had uh, um, apart from newland and 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 uh, gershman you had also a uh, former nato uh, head of the head of the nato in europe Dr. general philip breedlove who got busted for this flurry of lobbying and emails that he was sending around Trying to get Colin Powell and 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 Wesley Clark to put pressure on Obama to uh, come to Ukraine's aid, aid militarily, hmm. and uh, well, it didn't work. It didn't work because again, Obama thought that it wasn't a it wasn't a winnable situation and that it had a risk of uh, escalating into World War III. So. Uh, i think this is very very interesting because i think ultimately we're going to need to know who cooked this whole soup up you know Mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem that it came from president obama it came from these neocon networks that are you know some of them in washington dc but many of them in europe in in the structures of nato in in sweden in um uh, you know, Anders Aslund, Carl uh, Bildt was, was up to his eyeballs, uh, in mm. pressuring the Kiev junta into triggering the anti-terror operation after, after the coup. And so there's a, it, it seems to me that we're talking about officials who are not necessarily state actors, but are very influential, influential mm. and can influence policy mm-hmm. yeah. anyway. You know, going back to no. The this Black is seat. this is what
1: I just 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 quick moment. Uh, just to say, this is what I really appreciate about you, Alex, is that you uh you have a sensitivity to the the fact that there is this structure. We don't know all the details of the moving parts, but you know that there is this structure that is apart from and above nation states, which will use and will infiltrate institutions within nation states. But it's not the same thing. And I just made a mistake by just overly simplistically. Uh, labeling that operation state department see even i i do it too um but it's important to train the mind to always differentiate well what is it within the intelligence agencies which is working against the interests of the nation because if you, we if we hold on to the popular belief that nations are account are, are the sole cause of why things happen now or throughout history why is there a war in the middle east israel is causing this palestine is causing it why was there a World War II? Germany wanted this. And it's like, no, that, that is for stupid people. That has been baked into our, our dumbed down education system and textbooks. But the reality is there are oligarchical systems that will infiltrate and contaminate everything to induce nations to work against their own self-interest based on certain ideological, cultish, synthetic beliefs that are put there, but that destroy the people and the actual well-being of that nation. Did America benefit? by globalization well the the so-called elites got a lot of money for it but did the people or the nation as a whole benefit no it's weaker today on the verge of collapse so maybe that was actually a desired outcome and and what you're doing by just mapping out and helping people to appreciate this is i this is this is again just why i really appreciate your your two cents and your analysis so yeah go on i'm sorry
2: well no no thank you very much Matthew i appreciate that well in, yeah because you know i think it's extremely important for us to understand it because uh, y- y- you know as as you said the, the the propaganda machine is working overtime to make us think that you know russia bad uh, china bad uh, united states bad uh, you know whoever you know depending on which which side of the equation you take but you know, no nation is a monolith, and even the United States is not a monolith. And we had many examples of this happening. I, I think maybe you'll recall in 2019, towards the end of of of, of Trump's term, there was this incident where uh, I think in June 2019, the Iranians downed a drone over the Straits of Hormuz, and uh, and then there was there was there was this hysteric uh, pressure being built up for. Uh, Trump to go in and to launch uh, a, a missile and bombing attack against Iran, which would have which would have triggered uh, probably a war, an escalation that couldn't be controlled anymore. And uh, well, you know, had Trump pulled the trigger, it would have been you know it would have seemed like the United States responding. But what we learned was that the the lobbying pressure to push trump into that war was coming from the british embassy in washington the ambassador at the time was sir kim derek okay and uh, we learned about this because the anonymous afterwards i think october november that year anonymous leaked the cables that were going back and forth between the washington the british embassy in washington and london a foreign office and uh, they were the British diplomats were talking about how Trump was reluctant, but that they could kind of pressuring pressure him into pulling the trigger by quote unquote flooding the zone around him of like mm-hmm. influencing all of his advisors. Uh, the media did their work because the media uh, you know uh, kind of built up um again this uh Iran demonizing um hysteria again and what they did to us and our drone and so on and so forth but uh at that point Trump did uh resist it, and he didn't pull the trigger but you know then there was a a different well, he case fired where he, he, f- had... he
1: fired uh Ambassador Darak as well right that was one of the un- unprecedented action yeah, when he I, uh, I... kicked him out of...
2: yeah you're yeah, not fired,
1: exactly. him, but he said, Denial. "But he said, basically, get out. Get, you're you you're, you're not welcome here yes. anymore."
2: Yeah, Derek had to go when when the when the cables were were leaked out. It was it was such a scandal that uh, Kim Derek had to be changed. The Foreign Office had to uh, recall him and and send a different ambassador. But you know, because it's Britain, British tracks are always white, and we never mm. talk about them. We talk about. Uh, Russia we talk about China we talk about Iran we, we can talk about anybody but you know uh, even Israel but the Brits you cannot touch and you know practically anything anything that's discussed about the British lobbying and the British influence in the United States uh, uh, is very very carefully um mm. airbrushed so that they they never appear as a factor and then when things happen, and things go wrong, then the Brits themselves will say like, Oh, well, you know, we just went along with the American leadership, we're just being a dependable partner, like we always are and look what we've done and this is terrible. The Americans are bad. Uh, They, they mess up everything they touch and, uh, you know, uh, but you know they never learn they're always there you know, on the side and i always say that for people who are old enough who to remember mad max 3 the real relationship between the united states and and britain is the the master blaster relationship you know uh the big oh yeah mus- Beyond Thunderdome, muscular, Ray. <laughs> remember the big muscular yeah, yeah, giant yeah. who had this little old decrepit uh, dwarf uh, on his back right yeah, the yeah, the yeah, little yeah. Decrepit dwarf is, is actually directing him uh, to do things, while uh, you know the muscular giant just goes and and smashes things and be- beats people up, but doesn't really know why.
1: <laughs> that's perfect. No, it really is this this dumb giant that people are are quick to feel the burn of the uh, the muscular giant that's that's just smashing like the Hulk. And they don't forget that this thing is being foreign directed by an agency that understands that the real strength is in the power of lies the power of controlling the illusions the the ideologies that animate a program that animate a system yeah. to work against itself and master blaster the the, the big or the big it's not yeah. the master blaster but the big uh tool ended up uh meeting a very very unfortunate end in that mad exactly. Max story as, but
2: as, I, I know yeah. as 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 the I don't know who said it exactly, but one of the one of the British uh, diplomats or officials at the time when this special relationship was being forged, uh, they formulated it as uh, uh, American brawn, b- British brain, American brawn. You know hmm. so that's hmm. Uh, hmm. you know that's how the you know foreign policy around the world is going to be run. British, yeah, anybody who's written an American broad that's the
1: thing that's the key and anybody who's confused right now about the misinformation who they who should they give their anger to um is it China the bad guy is it Russia the bad guy should I hate Israel maybe I should hate the Islamists maybe I should hate Venezuela um there's so many different degrees of misinformation maybe it's the Jews you know the Jewish conspiracies coming in right now to absorb a lot of hate like it did back in the day when uh Hitler was reading the protocols of Zion cooked up by British and, and Russian intelligence to uh, convince the aristocracy that you have to clamp down on the Jews, and it gave rise. It, it worked pretty well at getting Nicholas II and and all of these different uh, fascist Henry Ford to push forth and 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 support a big fascist policy. But it's like this again today. We're being played like a spell. The same formula is being used, and it's always the head of British intelligence, whether it's the the evidence that justified the bombing of Iraq, the the in in the overthrow of Saddam Hussein that came out of 10 Downing Street if it was uh Gate, it was sir richard dearlove again if it whatever it is you'll scratch it you'll find british intelligence and we're that'll set the stage for the next segment where we're going to get into the middle east and some of the uh, the influences that aren't even in the middle east playing all sides um after a short break with his expert analysis and opinion. This is
0: TNT Radio's Timothy
4: Shea. I've been in and around politics for over 50 years, so it takes a lot to surprise me, much less shock me. But I was shocked, shocked, not that so many Argentines voted for Javier Malay, but that the Peronist powers that be allowed him to win the election. And the thing that made me the happiest for my Argentine friends is the video that Malay put out where he went down the row of a magnetic board that had all the Argentine government ministries listed, and all the irrelevant ones? Pulled them off the magnetic board over his shoulder, they're gone, no more. That's exactly what we need to have happen here in the United States. We need Donald Trump back in January of 2025 to streamline our government. We need to move the Department of the Interior actually out into the Interior. We need to move the Department of Agriculture to where we commit agriculture. And most importantly, we need to defund and disband FBI and distribute its law enforcement functions to other agencies that have their own law enforcement capability already stood up. Can't have Donald Trump back fast enough. I'm glad that Malay is going to make Argentina great again. We need Donald Trump here to make it. From MAGAInstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio.
3: Around here,
0: bushfire is just a part of life. We've been through it before, and we'll get through it again. The people here all look out for each other. We're a community that does its bit to plan and prepare, to keep everyone safe. We live with bushfire, so we live bushfire ready. this is connecting the dots with Matt Aaron on today's news talk radio TNT
1: all right we are back with Alex Craner, where we have been uh analyzing the role of the smelly British hand behind everything bad it seems uh, throughout (laughs) modern history and into our current age um we discussed um some elements of Ukraine internal manipulations inside the United States the importance of mapping out uh the deep state and its its techniques of sophistry to get us to um miss misfire our judgment upon those who do plot our demise so that we actually miss the hand that should be right in front of us and I'm I'm here in Canada most people in Canada think that we're like a constitutional democracy I gotta say like the sensitivity to British we we see the Queen everywhere um on our money or the soon the King uh, there's always this confirmation that there's this monarchical structure, but there's um, a total delusion of what's in, right in front of our face. Regardless, regardless of the fact that there's a privy council office, there's uh, lieutenant governors unelected, the uh, governor general signing off and giving royal assent to anything which becomes law. There's uh, deputy governors unelected or deputy, deputy ministers unelected. It's a whole de- baked-in deep state structure, and most people have been hypnotized to think, "Yeah, we're we're a." Freedom-loving democracy, you know, like like Ukraine. Um, it's weird, but it's important to have people like you who can break the spell and showcase that. No, the there we are being manipulated. We can merit democracy and sovereignty, but that role requires certain sh- changes in our attitude and our thinking. Um, now we talked about a lot of things. I want to start. I want to end on a discussion quickly about your thoughts on some of the developments in the Middle East and one thing that I I noted uh not that long ago is that uh, the Electronic Intifada a great website had uh, publicized certain um documents showcasing uh, Kit Clarenberg from Grey Zone oversaw this uh, that the Adam Smith International was training the Palestinian Authority um and the syria police uh fr- the 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 uh the free syrian army as well but the palestinian authority were being trained by a direct uh, uh a director named daniel pimlot david robson I- interfacing with uh, the u.s military um who was coordinating with israel to train the palestinian authority on the one hand on the other hand you have things like you know uh the u.s and israel both Working together, but when I say Israel, I, I'm specifically speaking of a faction within Israel to create Hamas, right? That is tied to the Muslim Brotherhood. So, and itself is tied to British intelligence free and Freemasonic intrigue uh, many, many decades ago. So, I know that you've written a lot about this. You recently wrote something on um, the West sails into a hurricane of consequences in the Middle East. Was October 7th? what we've been told or was it an inside job that was pre-planned by actors uh outside of that theater of action
2: yes matthew my sense is that that's what happened that it was it was a a pre-planned job by actors who who were outside um i think that netanyahu and his cabinet were were ripe low fruit for the picking so, you know, uh, triggering them was going to be really easy, right? They're already there. They they, they want to do this. Netanyahu is in a fight for his political and maybe physical life, and so this comes as a mana from heaven to him. Uh, on the other hand, we have Hamas, which again I would caution against thinking. Hamas bad, as, it, as, it, as if it were a monolith of bad, uh, you know, we have Hamas leadership who are some of them living in the UK, Britain, some of them living Qatar. in the Doha, Qatar, some of them in the West Bank, all in very, very posh privileged positions. Um, I think and there was an estimate that the, the combined leadership of, of Hamas are billionaires worth 11 billion dollars okay they travel around on private jets uh, enjoy their time at five star uh, resorts around the world and they are in very very close con- contact with these other uh, deep state uh, structures associated with Israel with the uh, with the UK with uh, uh with Qatar and and so forth so who is the biggest supporter of um Hamas in the world. Because you know, like if you go, if you go out on the street, and you say free Palestine, uh, you might get arrested in Germany, or other Western European countries. If you say from the river to the sea, uh, you could get you could have your ex Facebook, whatever accounts completely suspended. But um, Qatar can give Hundreds of millions of dollars to Hamas, and that's all cool. Hamas uh, Qatar has been rewarded by all this by massive arms transfers uh, from from England. Uh, they gave they they sold them um, fighter jets. They gave mm. them two bases in north of England to train with the British pilots and not only that but after the 7th october uh ubs or was it credit suisse i forget now one of the one of the big it was either ubs or credit suisse gave 8 or 9 billion dollar credit to qatar talk about punishment for being a hamas supporter so we're obviously not dealing with uh, some kind of a straight up game where you know, one bad monolith uh hit out at the other bad monolith and then the two bad monoliths went to war and the, you know, the better, stronger monolith is crushing the weaker one. That's what's happening at the human level. Mm. And so, you know, we see these, these really unspeakable atrocities being um wreaked on the, on the Ukrainian <laughs> On the palestinian population uh what are we at twenty thousand casualties and eight thousand 000 children uh, yeah. i honestly never thought that i would live to see this i i thought i thought those eras were behind us but apparently yeah. not uh, at the same time you know uh this i think was probably arranged between You know, probably top leadership of Hamas, who activated some militant units, uh, other militant units, or some commander, somebody in Israel made sure that, you know, the pilots didn't know who they were gonna, Mm -hmm. you know, they sent pilots in helicopters, and they sent tanks, who didn't really know where Hamas militants were. And then they were told, like, just shoot at everything, just kill everybody. And so you know in they've given way, testimonies
1: there has been some of the, the pilots of these apache helicopters who actually gave testimony saying that yeah we we didn't identify we couldn't identify who was a
2: hostage who was who was hamas yes, exactly and we just so were they, they were, yeah yeah so they were sent with like no rules of engagement with no clarity about who they were going against they just like mm-hmm. sick, like so motion and commotion and then they were told let's just like just like wipe them all out and then I think that one of the most important testimonies was this woman who was among the hostages who were taken but not yet brought to back to Gaza. This was one of the early testimonies. And then she said that she was taken care of by one of these uh, Hamas militants. And then at a at one moment uh while there was crossfire this Hamas militant uh changed his clothes and decided to turn himself in. So he took her as a human shield and went over to the Israeli side. And after he left, then they, uh, they, they fired tank shells into the house uh, where they were. So, mm. you know, if you, if you think this one through, that particular Hamas militant was probably a double agent, who was probably part of this command and control hierarchy that orchestrated this attack, and who knew that at a certain p- moment in time, uh, his best, you know, his his role was over, and he was going to walk over to the other side, uh, quote, unquote, mm-hmm. turn himself in. But basically, you know, he's already part of this whole thing. And then the changing of clothing is a significant thing because, obviously, if he was going to go out of there with a human shield, they had to recognize him. So you know he had a he had a a set of clothes that would um, <clears throat> be able for Israeli a, troops yeah. to identify him as a, as a friend and not foe. I think that was a very important testimony. So you know it's 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 difficult while emotions run high to call something Mm. a false flag. But I mean, we've seen false flags, but history is chock full of false flags. And, you know, after 30 years, 40 years, 50 years have gone by, then everybody goes like, oh yeah, you know, Gulf of Tonkin, everybody knows. But at the time, nobody could have dared to mention it. I think that we need to be a bit wiser, and we need to call things by their name, even if they're wrong, even if we're wrong. Because if I'm wrong, then you know history will tell a different story, and I'll be proven wrong. But I think the fact that this was a false flag attack most probably changes everything. It's not just like a one small fact that, oh yeah, whatever. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. No, it actually changes everything because then. We need to investigate who is responsible for this. In a completely, you know, like the the, the investigation uh, track is a completely yeah. different one than if if it were like an endogenous attack by evil, barbaric Muslims against you know their Jewish victims.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is not a superficial thing at all. This is like saying, you know, the the one narrative, the buildings fell, but I mean, it doesn't matter what the explanation narrative is. And it seems like the the idea of a guy in a cave uh, orchestrating this whole thing in Afghanistan is sufficient for me to just live in that, that mental realm. And it's like, no, but all of the questions you're going to be asking, all of the, the actions you're going to be authorizing, will lead you to a completely different destructive outcome than if you take the time to objectively take a step back, avoid the are you with us or with the terrorist di- false dichotomy choice, and simply say, okay, how how have we been played again and again from the Gulf of Tonkin, the murder of JFK, Vietnam, that you know the Gulf of Tonkin never happened as an attack from the Viet Cong. We accepted that lie, and then we resulted in something which spiritually massacred the American people self-mutilated and created traumas that are still bubbling unresolved um, under the surface and that are being played with by uh, grand strategists and mass psychiatrists who like playing people from the standpoint of their bubbling unresolved uh, subconscious forces that have been induced to suffer traumas, right? That's that's how we're played. Same Definitely. thing for the, uh, the Cold War issue too, right? Like why are people so ready right now to just jump fall right back into the Cold War profile of blaming Beijing and the Kremlin for all of our problems. Well, it's because we never resolved it. The, the Soviet Union melted down. We thought that we were the the top dog in the world in 1992, but we never resolved all of the J. Edgar, Hoover, McCarthyite, John Brooke Society propaganda that was embedded in the baby boomer generation for decades. That was always there. And when the spellmasters were were decided to bring it back, they could press those right buttons, and uh and induce it so now people aren't seeing the british intelligence hand everywhere that they should see could be smacking them they don't see it because they're so fixated on the cold war bad guys that are brought back again we only have about four minutes um i need to have you back on because you've said something that i think also is important about uh this techniques of gladio you brought up the uh how many people inside of hamas um obviously are not bad they're 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 authentic good people who have been pulled into something which is being influenced by billionaires in Qatar and far far off realms tied to intelligence which don't care about them at all and would like to use them just like israelis have been used who are not bad people but are being used by processes they don't understand and i was thinking about operation gladio and how many people in the red brigades didn't know fully how Unreconstructed Nazis were working with Alan Dulles, creating these terrorist organizations in the 1960s, carrying out um, a strategy of tension—the the killing of, of people like Herrhausen or, or other political leaders. Um, do you want to say a, a quick word on that as a teaser for maybe our our future discussion on some of this stuff?
2: Well, yeah, sure. I think uh, I think that's a very important topic of discussion because this is this is something that's done. Uh, also by these uh, imperialistic um, um, structures of power, uh, as a matter of course, to pit one group against the other. And, you know, we've seen, um, I think there are so many parallels between what is happening in Israel today to what what has been happening in Ukraine previously. And then I lived through one of those experiences when, uh, you know, the countries of former Yugoslavia went to war, you know, this is, this is, uh, uh, you know, when you want to, when you want to rule over the people, the easiest thing to do is to divide them against one another, and then to pretend that you are there to help both secretly, and neither side knows that they, that you are actually pitting them against the one, one or the other, you know, and uh, You know, there's the, this has been going on so long that, you know, back in, back home, my, one of my elders told me that, you know, we used to have a saying, if you see two neighbors fighting, you can know for sure that one of them had, uh, one of them had an Englishman over uh, for dinner last night. (laughs) And, but, you know, uh, so that's, you know, that's the, that's the, you know the how do you call it the the stereotype, but we have to be careful because this is not about Englishmen. This is not about the British people. This is about the nature of governance. This is about the system of governance. That this is you know what, what George Soros made plain in his 2021 uh, present speech to the World Economic Forum in Davos, and this is the exact thing that uh, Kurt Volker said in in his presentation about what they didn't learn in Ukraine uh last week Uh, they said both of them confirming that it's all about the system of governments governance Mm -hmm. and so the western uh, imperial system of governance uh, depends on dividing people pitting them one against the other and uh, making sure everybody is fighting so that they can arrange the best deal for themselves
1: absolutely no that's perfectly said that don't play the game that's the key don't play the game we're going to come we're going to leave for a little break for our next segment we're going to have lawrence freeman on the issue of africa and the world